0: All right, welcome to uh, this month's podcast. It's a little bit uh, uh, different than normal. Um, I'm in location in Bahia where all the power has gone out on the island except for one cafe. I apologize upfront about the background noise. I will be muting myself as much as possible as our focus is on uh, Marcelo and his stories and his uh, ideas about what's going on uh, in the world of beach soccer. Um, Marcelo is a former uh, coach for the Portuguese national team, Uruguay, Thailand, United Arab Emirates, uh, Japan, uh, South Africa, Qatar, and even was an assistant coach with the U.S., the name of few. He's a a lifer, per se, in regards to beach soccer, Um, has a history of coaching with Flamengo and Sao Paulo and uh, uh, in other organizations, uh, in Brazil and is currently a Kona Ball beach soccer instructor as well as recently was, uh, well, and recently coaching the, uh, real cool, Rio probably destroyed that, um, being, uh, Okinawa and having also been uh, prolific in the Japanese national team. So Marcelo, I want to welcome you. Uh, thank you for joining us this month and, uh, how are you
1: doing today? Thank you. Thank you for, for inviting me for for the podcast. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm in Brazil now, after six months in Japan, uh, coaching the FC HQ, uh, as you said, in Okinawa. I'm fine.
0: Fantastic. So we're going to go through a few different subjects that we've already talked about, but I, I wanted to kind of get right into uh, your transition from being a grass coach, and you know how beach was not really the plan per se to go as much as you have, but like w- what what happened, and and um, what was what was that time period like? Because I know that it was towards the end of your period at Flamengo. Could you tell us a little bit more about that experience?
1: Yeah, uh, so I started when I when I was in uh, university. Uh, I started to work in a soccer women team, the university women team. And then after one year, this team became like the university made a partnership with Flamengo and I started to work there as an assistant coach. So we a great time. After that, I work in in two second division clubs here in in Brazil and I opened in 1996 my academy, my first academy, beach soccer academy here in Rio. And I had one teacher in a university, Lucia, Lucia Reis, and that time she was working in Coctavares in the beach soccer tournaments here in Brazil. And... She invited me to, to to work in these tournaments in the technical department. So I used to make the scout for the tournament, and after that, uh, in I started also in '96. So, but I was surprised when in 1999 I I I was invited to coach the Portuguese national team. It was a uh, a big, big, uh, let's say, big jump, big, big surprise, and a huge step over that I I did in nineteen
0: ninety nine. Can you tell us a little about a little bit about that? I mean, I, I believe it had something to do with a a beer and LeBlanc right after you know training on the beach. <laughs> and you know, could you kind you kind of describe that? Because you were telling me that. Um, you were surprised by the opportunity because you didn't really have the experience. So could you kind of let people know a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, sure. I I I didn't have that time enough experience uh, with professional players and uh, but I had about three or three years and a half working in beach soccer uh, and studying and been in the in the, in tournaments, watching good players and big players, and I, so the story is: uh, I was in in Leblon, after the beach with Lucia, and uh, her mobile, like ring, and uh, the manager, one of the managers in Coctavares in São Paulo, he asked her about one name to coach the Portuguese national team. And she she just looked at me and said, do do you want to be the, the Portuguese national team coach? And I was surprised and I said yes, why not? And she said, okay, he's available, he can go. And then it was a took like one month process to find contract and everything, but it was it was interesting story.
0: No, no, that's great. And, and so you went thinking you were gonna go for three months and then or or six months and it became three years, or how, how long were you in, or six months, I guess. You you had a short time period that you were thinking of being there, but you ended up extending it uh due to the experience.
1: Yeah, yeah. My contract, uh, my contract was three months. And in the end of the, the second month, they 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 proposed to me to, to extend for one year. and But in total, I, I, I was there two years, two years in Portugal, yeah, where we won the one European European League. Well, that's great, great. And so
0: you, you mentioned Coach Stavaris. I mean, for any of us in the beach soccer world, we know they were sort of the beginnings of international play. Um, you know, they obviously did the first term international tournament in Miami Beach, which is, you know, can be found on any Wikipedia look or what you have. But being being the company that sort of parented or really started the international game, did it did it have much benefit for Brazil? Not only for their national team, but how how was it for the national team comparatively to like domestic growth and development? you know, in
1: regards to what you saw being kind of on the front line. We had a huge investment for the national team. Uh, we had uh, the players had like a contract, year contract. So, but not all like five, the top five or six players. After I'm talking about after junior, a junior, uh, generation. I'm talking about the second generation, Junior Negão, Jorginho, uh, Nene, uh, so Robertinho, goalkeeper. So, this generation, they had like a year contract. And, but I think, uh, and we had a big, big uh, media support. So, all events live on the TV, open TV, not cable TV. So, we had a, a huge support that time. And I think, we miss uh, a development project at that time, so because we could we could have more, and maybe if we 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 had this uh, today, we could be in another in another level another step in terms of development.
0: So, that being the case, and basically in a way losing time with all that investment going into the national team, it, it obviously produced results in regards to Brazil winning more World Cups and World Championships than anyone. But how is that now translating to the experience of clubs and teams in Brazil now? Um, is there, it, have they been able to develop in the way that they should um, with that lack of, now with sort of a lack of funds and direction?
1: Yeah, so that time, that time uh, the company, the company, they, they run one tournament here. It was like uh, states or like regional tournaments. And, and but that's it. So no clubs involved at that time. So I don't remember yet how many years ago we, we started, but I, I remember in 2000 or 2001, we had the first Rio de Janeiro championship, and then we had Vasco da Gama, we have Fluminense, we had Flamengo. So that was the first step, the first step. But here in Brazil, we don't have like a sequence. We, we, we make things and we don't move for the next step. So then we, then we had a big gap, and now with more international tournaments, I think the clubs here in Brazil, they started to develop not only the men's but also the women teams. But to have sponsors and players paid, we need competition. So the sponsors, they need to to go somewhere. So we, we still need more competitions. We cannot say nothing about the last year where the Brazilian Federation, they had they proposed one calendar, one big calendar last year, but the COVID-19 stopped everything. So let's see next year. I think this year we're gonna have few competitions. You know, but next year we need to we need to move forward.
0: Yeah, I think that's sort of par for the course everywhere, you know. Um because I know that you you had mentioned, you know, uh Investment by Clonaball in the women's game, and then you know, COVID basically stopped everything. And obviously, Brazil is is dealing with COVID in a very uh, different, difficult time. You know, uh, not going into obviously any of the politics of anything, but um, obviously, COVID's been hitting uh, Brazil heavily. So I'm sure Brazil and the rest of Latin America is is waiting for the day where you guys can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel in regards to dealing with this so that things can find some normalcy. Um, I want to kind of pivot a little bit and kind of go into some of the experiences you had as a coach. Um, You know, there was, you had a time with, in the first Mundialito, um, you had the opportunity to coach um, a American team. And uh, it was the Seattle Sounders. And that was for the first Mundialito. And I was wondering, could you kind of tell me and explain to everyone sort of like what the idea was with the Mundialito and with the Sounders team? You mentioned there was a draft. And kind of explain what that was.
1: Uh, The idea was to to have a draft. Uh, Each coach from each club uh, could choose the players, but with some rules. Like for example, Seattle Sanders, uh, the club is from US, so we we must have three local play four local players, and then we had to choose uh, players from Concacaf to to complete the team. And after that, we we had the chance to choose players from Europe, from Brazil, international players. But it was nice because in in my opinion, uh, today we have have some competitions where uh, the team is from one country and they have 10 10 Brazilian players. And and so the local players, they have no chance to play. Uh, So the idea in the first Mundialito was to, to give a chance for the local players to the national players to play. So, and I, I, I was happy with that.
0: And you had the chance of coaching a few of the uh, storied American players. That includes, you know, uh, the two that I'll... Well, actually, there was Toff, our current U.S. goalkeeper who was very young at the time, and then two of our best players that ever stepped on the, on the sand for us in Francis Farberoff and Yuri Morales. Um, I was wondering, could you kind of give us, and, and we'll get to another player that, uh, that I'm sure that you'd like to share about uh, who plays for the Japanese national team now, but could you tell me a little bit about Francis and and Yuri and your experience coaching these two sort sort of, honestly, legends of, of our U.S. national team?
1: Yuri, I, I, I was uh, really... Uh, not surprised because I knew him when I picked him in the draft. I knew his potential, but uh, I just said it, it is amazing because today everyone knows how to make a bicycle kick. And Yuri, I don't know how many years ago, he, he was able to do it many times. And he scored many goals uh, uh, by bicycle kick. So uh, it was a really, really good experience for me to work with the American guys. I knew also since uh, he had been years old and I was the coach to pick him from one academy in Copacabana. And I took him to Sao Paulo national team. Oh, sorry, to Sao Paulo team. And, and there we won, we won two, two Brazilian championships together. So after that, he moved to Germany and after that he moved to, to Japan. And nobody 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 listened about him anymore. So when we had the, the, the draft for the first Mundialito, I I remember that guy and I said I will I will try to find him where is him and then uh, when I chose him to, to Seattle Sanders so everybody was asking like uh, Ozo who is Ozo Moreira? Nobody knows. Ruizoso Moreira. Um, I was wondering um,
0: do you think it's going to be a problem? I know that you mentioned it with the 4 second rule now of goalkeepers, it's not just in the box, but it's anytime they have the ball. Do you think that the the two Concacaf teams since they had since they actually qualified under the old rules in your opinion, do you think they're going to be able to make that transition this quickly where it really is going to take the goalkeepers even that much more skill level to contribute in the way that they have before?
1: No, I think, I think the Francis and uh, Coach Coach Gallo from El Salvador, they still have time. Uh, they, for sure, they are already training the new rules. Uh, and the goalkeepers, they will get it uh, fast.
0: Well, let's pivot a little bit. Because I could talk about Francis and Yuri and all of our US players. And and I apologize to any El Salvador fans out there. I'm a big fan of Frank and, and the rest of the team. I don't know what the mental slip is that I, I, I named the wrong country. I'll, I'll pay for that later. Um, but I wanted to pivot towards the women. Um, when you came back from Japan, uh, you took a position for a while as the director of the Brazilian women's national team. And I wanted to kind of ask you what your impression of the women's game is, um, both in Brazil and, and where do you think it's going and what needs to happen for the women's game to, to reach the level where they have their own world cup. Uh, we know that, you know, teams are going to be playing, at the world cup for the first time for four national teams but what what needs to happen and, and what do you see across the world in regards to the women's game right now
1: so but uh we had we had a big uh gap uh when beach soccer starts and when fifa came to the game so when fifa uh, decide to make the first women World Cup, I think everything will change and the, the federations will take care more about the women's game also.
0: How, how was the tournament in Dubai? I know that we, we didn't really discuss that, but that was like sort of the first Olympic-level type, you know, through ANOC Beach Games. Um, so it was sponsored by the International Olympic Committee. What was your impression having been there as part of that event on the
1: women's side? It was a amazing experience for for everyone, I'm sure.
0: Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I figured as much. I know that the U.S. women that play with our uh, NorCal beat Soccer Club women's team, you know, they joined us for the World Winners' Cup right after in Turkey and You know, they were so excited about the experience being able to represent their country. Um, I'm really happy that, you know, I had a hand in helping them sort of open the door Uh, and getting a head start from my meeting with Juan Cusco in 2017. I went looking for those players that would fill that national team once we had it and we were able to get three from our area and a couple from Southern California and I'm really excited about seeing the future of the women's game, especially from the U.S. and obviously worldwide, um, grow and, and continue to kind of go in the right direction. Um, to finish up today, um, there's going to be a lot of editing, I'm sure, on this uh, podcast. Um, but I wanted to kind of talk to you about your Beach Soccer Academy. Um, you know, your, your academy is located in, in Rio de Janeiro, correct?
1: Yes, in uh, uh, Leblon. Oh, in Leblon, where it all started in Janeiro, with Portugal. Yes. That's
0: great. Um, so, with your academy in Leblon, what what are you um, what are you doing with it these days?
1: Yeah, we 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 have uh, kids, of course, from different different age groups, and we have also in the morning a training for women uh and uh we have different ages also but most of the players they are over and and uh they like to play soccer and they like to play on the sand open space leblon beach so it's uh it's nice well yeah leblon
0: leblon is Pretty, pretty nice as areas go in in Rio de Janeiro. I mean, there's there's not much better. Um, I was wondering because I know that you you and I had spoken about a a possibility of sort of an experience for international youth to come and sort of get the trifecta, let's say, of Brazilian skill and culture. In regards to, I guess it was like two weeks or ten days, where you would come and you would play uh, beach soccer, futsal, and grass. Um, am I correct in saying that? Could could you tell us a little bit more about this opportunity that you're creating and when it might take place?
1: When I was in uh, Okinawa, so I was coaching I also one uh, soccer, in one soccer academy, where. All the, the players uh, were American, so it was inside one American base. So, uh, so the idea is to make to make one camp here in in Rio de Janeiro, but not only beach soccer. I want to bring the American players, uh, uh, the American players to come to Rio to play beach soccer and to have the experience also to play futsal and soccer with the Brazilian players together. And, and then to find, to find the, the, the difference, to realize uh, different techniques to, to, to get uh, some improvements in terms of tactics and techniques, but playing with the Brazilian girls. So that's, that's the plan. So three modalities of soccer together in in the same camp. And some days on the beach, some days indoor, some days on the grass.
0: Well, that sounds like an amazing opportunity. Um, I can tell you that I'll definitely be back in touch with you to find out more details about when it, when it will be taking place so that we can offer it to our followers and the people that play in our tournaments. I, I have a few teams in mind right now, but I think we'd really love to have that experience. So we'll, we'll definitely cross that road and make sure that people know about it and and, and see if we can help fill in, some, uh, fill in some experiences of life along the way there. Um, I think we're going to finish up right now. There's going to be an editing job, as I mentioned, um, but Marcelo, I really want to uh, thank you for taking the, the opportunity and the time, especially in the difficulties that we had in getting this done today. Um, and, you know, I look forward to uh, crossing paths with you again, as people may not know. First time we met, as this motorcycle comes running by, uh, was in Japan, and uh, when you were coaching the Japanese national team, and you uh, showed me a wonderful hospitality, and kind of introduced me to some new ideas about things to do there that hopefully I'll be able to take advantage of in the future. Um, but thank you so much for your time. Um, and I, I hope to be able to uh, uh, see you soon. Uh, obviously, we're both in Brazil right now. But right now I'm in Bahia, I'll be back in Beaga. I don't think I'll be making it to Rio. But I'm sure we'll see each other sooner than later. So,
1: I'm sure I'm sure about that because well, just just because just because we love bit soccer we both love beat soccer so we're gonna meet somewhere for sure oh, without and, and that. I want and I want to thank you and I want to thank you very much for the invitation talking about beat soccer uh, and women's soccer and and development so I love I love to talk about these uh, topics so thank you very much and I hope the people enjoy when they they hear us i
0: i think if i do a good editing job we'll be okay (laughs) just so people know like (laughs) just to finish up we started this conversation with me running the wi-fi through my sister-in-law's phone with a with my phone as a flashlight on my face um in a town that's Basically, in a blackout, except for this cafe that I ended up at with all this loud noise in the background. So, I thank everybody that made it through this and, uh, and having watched it. And again, Marcelo, thank you so much. And we'll see. I think that's right. Thank great you. Thank you very much. <laughs> all right. I'm going to stop this recording right now before I go crazy. <laughs>